Hi guys, welcome back to Ecom Podcast of Kids from the Symposium. I'm Ash Orlack. I'm Karen Sander. And I'm Lawrence Lee. And today we're having a brief midweek pod to discuss the um, Premier League uh, recent round of fixtures and the upcoming Champions League round of fixtures. Um, Lawrence, let's just jump straight into it. What did you make of uh, Man United's result against West Brom? There's a lot of VAR drama on both ends of the pitch, I hear. Yeah, you're very correct in that West Brom will feel like um, they could have got something out of the game because, uh, well, first of all, the winning goal in the end was was ripe with VAR controversy, not because of the penalty itself, I guess, because I don't think there can be any uh, complaints about um, complaints about that. But um, with the penalty itself, Bruno Fernandez, um, he actually missed the first one. For the, I think, third time in a row, he's missed the penalty at the first time of asking. Um, but because John, Sam Johnston was off his line when this, the the penalty was made, then uh, it was retaken and Fernandez scored. And, and because of all the discussion about media, I'm just going to say it again. It's so annoying when um, the player misses the first penalty and they go, oh, it's a crap penalty, it's an easy save. And then Bruno Fernandez, like, just... Like is not his second penalty isn't actually any better, but it just happens to go in. So it's a brilliant penalty, and he's done really well with the pressure. Um, but yeah, Manchester United strike again. Um, yeah. West Brom say that right, but every time I looked at penalty, you generally deserve pretty much all the penalties you get. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they're like um, a style of yeah. play thing or what, because obviously the stats are quite remarkable. I mean, it turns out that when you have a bunch of fast players who are good at dribbling and good at trickery, then you tend to get more penalties than the, than the league average. Um, I think the complaints by many, I think somebody sent on the group chat that there was a stat like United were, um, United had the most favourable VAR decisions in 2020 or something ridiculous. Um that in my mind, it doesn't really mean anything. What does a successful VAR result really mean? Have they actually gotten a scene contact that wasn't like seen by the referee in real time? I mean, um, I think that with regards to West Brom, who um, uh, who thought they should have had a penalty under VAR, and I, and I think uh, when Bruno Fernandez sort of touched Conor Gallagher, I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, that that shouldn't have been a penalty. West Brom will feel aggrieved. Um, other other than that sort of penalty contra- controversy, uh, United, really, well, both teams really offered little going forward. It was a pretty drab game, to be honest. It's United's actually first Premier League uh, victory of the season, so home Premier League victory. Mm. Um, so this is like, you know, they needed this result, but it was a pretty crap performance, if I'm going to be honest. What do you think was lacking? Creativity? I mean, because you were evidently... I mean, West Brom aren't, aren't going to pose you too many issues defensively, but, I mean, what do you think was so poor about the performance? Was it just that there was no nothing being created, no penetration? Well, I mean, it's it's the same old story with Ole. There, it's, it's, as we said before, it's not right to say that United are up and down and they're really inconsistent. I'd say they're very consistent. They can't break down teams that that provide a low block, which happened in this game. That's the issue, really. Um, you know, it's Is that very a personality diff- or a tactics issue? Uh, it's got to be a tactics issue for me because uh, I think we do have the players to break down um, defences. And, you know, 
Donny van der Beek came on in like the 82nd minute again and he gets what 10 minutes to show his quality like it's just it's just ridiculous when the game is crying out for a player with his ability to be in the right place at the right time and also his playmaking ability um it's just frankly just weird from Ole um we have so many quality attacking players but he can't you know find the right pick like so the right to um, unlock the uh, the low blocks, whereas he can set up a team to play on the counter attack, um, and yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Callum, what have you been making more broadly about kind of VAR? Obviously, it was controversial in this game, and we'll next we'll talk about the kind of City Spurs game where it was also controversial for ruling out the Laporte goal because um, of the fact that it came off Jesus's hand allegedly, or or at least his arm. What do you make of the implementation of VAR this year? Yeah, so I'm not a massive fan. I think um, the idea that it was ever going to be like a, a silver bullet was a bit wrong. Like you think about the amount of times that you'd watch like match of the day or something and the two of them would be arguing over a decision that they've seen five, ten times. The idea that you could have this like silver bullet technology and it would fix it obviously was never right. But the idea that actually sometimes it does, it is useful, like it would stop instance of like intentional handball on the goal line. I think we just haven't really seen many of those incidents and it gets like dragged down and we spend too much time talking about cases significant almost yeah like uh, it could go it could go either way and like obviously it's a shame that like i think it's sucking the passion out of the game and like people hesitating to celebrate after a goal is obviously awful and i think we're not noticing that quite as much with like a lack of crowds in stadiums at the moment which is obviously not ideal but I think I'm not I'm not a big fan, and it's it's taken it's just slowed the game down too much. There's too much hesitation. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's a view commonly held by by people. So yeah, moving on to that City Spurs game, Callum, what did you make of Spurs' performance? Obviously, quite an impressive result. They seem to be quite defensively resilient. Alan Shearer on match of the day was particularly impressed by their defensive shape and organisation, which is what you kind of expect from a class Mourinho team. You know, um, Harry Kane and Song Heung-min uh, carried on being lethal in front of goal. I think Harry Kane's got mental, um, like he's got some like 45 goal involvements in like 40 in like 26 games or something. I, I, you know, they're just on a, a mental run of form. What did you make of this first performance and perhaps where they are in the title race this year? Yeah, I think it was um, a pretty classic Mourinho performance. Um, pretty pragmatic. I think they had like four shots to City's 22 or something, which is outrageous. But hardly surprising when the way when you set, would set up a team for that game you would expect and he did was defensive hit him on the counter-attack um very effective Kane and Son Heung-min have been like incredibly clinical in that match um both shots on target were goals I think you can kind of blame Edison for some of them I don't think his positioning was particularly incredible um I think he's for the for he's, the Son goal for the Son goal I assume yeah for the first goal I think um yeah. he was kind of in a no man's land where he was like too far out um or not where he was like not it was like in between being far enough out and being in the goal where he was just that was pretty poor but I think it's you can't take anything away from Mourinho Tottenham looked like a very good side I think you can reasonably throw them in for like top two of the league this season I don't think would be surprising now oh really so um do you see them I think this performance showed they were markedly better than City but do you see them as kind of Liverpool's perhaps biggest challenges? We'll get on to Liverpool a bit later in the pod, but 
Um, Chelsea and, and Spurs both seem to be both seem to be on the up. I mean, Lawrence, what did you make of Spurs in this game? And also about City as well. They're continuing their inconsistent inconsistent form and 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 certainly their decline from from the side that we saw two years ago, especially in the environment that we spoke about last time of Pep being given a, being given a new contract. Yeah, um, I spoke before the game in the preview about the importance of this run of fixtures for Spurs and deciding what their real ambition should should be this season and and this was a real statement win for Jose Mourinho and Spurs um I I think he I think the only sort of um gray cloud in that in that whole sunshine of of happiness I that was a really poor metaphor was that the cameras the Amazon cameras weren't there to film Jose Mourinho's smugness um yeah it was a fantastic performance from Spurs uh very clinical there they're a great. They look a great side right now. They look like one of those Jose Mourinho sides of old, where they're really solid at the back and they have that fantastic attacking threat. Um, and if you think about the fact that Gareth Bale isn't actually at full fitness and not a full like sort of flight yet, you know, it's only up from here. To be honest, um, Son I mean, he, said, he said to Harry Kane when he joined Mourinho, said that I'm going to make you explode, and I think that he's he's you know followed through with that. Well, yeah, I mean, Kane didn't score in, in this game, but Kane has been absolutely devastating in previous matches and home and son as well. But, you know, um, we talked about this being a classic Mourinho performance. This is some becoming somewhat of a classic Guardiola performance now this season with City having this paradox of having so much of the ball, but being so impotent going forward. Um, you know, you can have 22 shots, but it doesn't really matter if you don't really create any clear-cut chances. We... Um, and your XG is that low. I mean, uh, yeah, City clearly missing Sergio Aguero. He was on the bench today, didn't come on. Um, nor did Raheem Sterling, by the way. I think for fitness issues, really. Um, well, I mean, any yeah. team that loses Aguero and Sterling is, is going to struggle. But but I mean, is the issue more fundamental? They you know they let go of Leroy Sané. I don't think I don't think anyone would say that Baron Torres is an adequate re- replacement in terms of quality. And they they obviously um, David Silver obviously departed as well. I mean, I, I think those losses have been keenly felt. I mean, I don't think it's any excuse because you look at City's lineup and it, it's Gabriel Jesus, De Bruyne, Ferran Torres, Bernardo Silva, Foden. Well, he came off the bench, but you know these are players that should be able to you know deliver the goods in an attacking way. I think it's more of a again it's more of a tactical issue. And Guardiola once again in the post match. Uh, press conference has no answer for for this these perf- poor performances which is really worrying and and you know it's been what like uh, a week or something after his contract extension and he's already saying his job is not secure because they keep failing to get results mm-hmm. uh i would be very worried as a city fan um their title challenge seems to be slipping away from them and would you say this is a kind of similar problem paradoxically that united have but just uh in the it, it's a tactical issue rather than a rather than a uh, personnel issue. Because what I seem to observe, I'm not sure if Callum, you agree or not, but what I seem to observe is um, if you manage to stifle De Bruyne by just basically double-teaming or triple-teaming him um, and removing him options for passing routes and then forcing City to play out wide, um, you can basically deprive them of most of their attacking impetus. Callum? Yeah, I think um, De Bruyne is like clearly their most important player, I would say. Um, you can see that like when he's injured, they're not the same team. And I think people have just caught on to that now. And I think once they realise that you can actually dedicate that many players to shutting him down, I think I think City are a much less effective team. 
Hmm. Um, what is interesting, I saw a lot of the papers today were linking City with Kane. Ooh. Um, well, a couple of papers were, which is quite interesting, and obviously it's like tied into this match. But um, I think that would be an interesting transfer. Yeah. Because obviously, no, obviously Aguero is aging now, and he's going to presumably leave soon. I feel like Jesus should be a good enough player to like at least be playing a lot of their games. But mm. I don't know. He feels like he hasn't really kicked on since they bought him in a way that we all expected. Yeah, I mean, he was bought to be the kind of uh, heir apparent to Sergio Aguero, but Aguero's ended up keeping his spot for many years longer than people thought he would, and, and Jesus hasn't really kicked on. Um, but yeah, I know I, th- I think that's fair enough to section of the game, and I think if you're a Spurs fan, you know the only way is up now, as Lawrence said, and, and I think you should be quite confident about your chances going forward. Um, moving on, um, we had the interesting game of... What were the interesting games, Ash? <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe Leeds um, nil, Arsenal nil. No, it was. Um, I think one quite remarkable game was uh, Everton three two against Fulham. A bit of a thriller. Lawrence, take us through that one. Yeah, um, Fulham will be really annoyed about not getting a point out of this, but they can't really complain because their defence is just frankly awful. Um, Everton repeatedly cut through the Fulham defence. Calvert have had four or five goals this game he only got two in the end um and the scoreline was much closer than the performance uh than Everton's performance deserved um yeah when Fulham's key issue is obviously the defense uh but when Ruben Loftus-Cheek came on I think after about an hour uh, Fulham looked like a brilliant team he scored he did score in the end he um he also won the penalty I think which uh, was comically missed by Ivan Cavalero. So that's the third penalty taker and the third penalty miss in a row for Fulham. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but it was just, it was a very amusing sort of, his standing leg gave way and then he just fell over and, and the ball went, uh, you know, into the stands. Mm. Um, not a great day for Fulham because these are, you know, when, when you do score two goals in a game, um as a as a relegation threat inside, you, you want to get at least a point out of it, and they, and they couldn't do so. Important win for Everton because they won a little bit of a slide recently. Yeah. Um, and they've sort of just picked it up again. Uh, the fact that yeah. Everton just scraped past Fulham gives me a lot of encouragement. Further that the shit that people were chatting earlier on about them being title contenders is complete, complete and utter garbage, and that just gives me confidence that Everton will remain average or slightly above average for another season. But we'll see. I personally don't see them in the top four race, Lawrence. Well, I mean, this is funny. But, I mean, they're four points off the top in sixth. Um, this te- this league is so open right now. I, I literally don't know what to make of it. Um, uh, in all honesty, obviously not title challenges. Um, because, but like, if, if one team manages to put together a, a big run, especially over this busy Christmas period, and, and puts themselves in, uh, in a good contention, they could... They could find themselves clear of the pack, as it were. So um, it's very difficult to predict what will happen in this league, and, that, and that's why we love it, really. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I guess the final game was worth talking about, Callum, is um, Chelsea's 2-0 defeat of Newcastle. Lauren said, um, amusingly in the last pod, that Newcastle don't really have much to offer, um, and that was kind of shown in this game. Chelsea pretty comfortable again. It seems that they've solved most of the defensive issues they had from the beginning of the season and from the end of last season. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's Newcastle obviously are not the greatest team going forwards. 
Um, so I don't want to draw too many conclusions about Chelsea's defence, but generally since they brought the new goalkeeper in, they have looked pretty solid. Um, I'm, I didn't watch much of the game, but um, seemed like a good performance from Chelsea. Um, can't really question it. It's it's classic, like smash a relatively early goal in and you're kind of good to go. Mm. I mean, Lawrence, what do you make of this actually quite remarkable defensive improvement for Chelsea. I mean, last season, the beginning of this one, they, they couldn't defend corners. They were they were actually one of the worst teams in the league at doing so. Awful in the air, awful in positioning. You know, so conceded some stupid goals. It was almost inevitable. And, you know, with Kepa as well, obviously there's been a change of personnel there. What do you make of this defensive improvement of Chelsea? I think it's one of the most underrated and actually most important stories of this season so far. Well, um, we often say that signings aren't always the answer, but they seem to have been for Chelsea this season. Uh, Mendy, Silva and Nchua have certainly improved their defence no bounds. Silva wasn't available for this match. Chelsea still looked pretty good solid uh, in in defence and, I mean, Newcastle were crap going forward. So, uh, as Callum said, there's not really much to say there. But, you know, Timo Werner is absolutely purring right now in the Premier League. He had a bit of a slow start, but now he's really coming into his own. He's showing that um, physicality, intensity and pace that you need to to show to survive in the Premier League as, as a striker. It's, it's no longer the days where you can just hump the ball up to uh, fucking Kenwin Jones and then have him score. You know, you got to really have more in your locker um, to be a consistent goal scorer. And, and yeah. I heard this comparison on, uh, I think it might have been the Football Ramble, that um, it said Timo Werner reminds, um, reminds, is reminiscent of uh, early Fernando Torres in the way that he shoots, in the way that he finishes, in his pace and his his, um, his technique. I don't know if Callum, the Fernando Torres expert, <laughs> wants to give us any uh, insights Callum, on that. I mean, Callum, for you, I mean, that would be very strong praise. Uh, what do you make of that comparison? Yeah, I mean, certainly now he's started to fire the goals in. So I think, yeah, he's definitely getting better. Um, I feel like we've still, we've got to see Chelsea against a top team. They're playing Tottenham next weekend. Um, I, I think they haven't really played a big team for a while. Yeah. Um, the, the teams they've been playing aren't teams you'd be expecting to score against Chelsea. Yeah. And you honestly, yeah. you wouldn't be surprised if they didn't score against a mid-table side. Yeah. So. Yeah, I completely I, agree. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I don't think we should get carried away with like a couple of clean sheets against mm-hmm. some lower mid-table teams. Their run of they have I think seven clean sheets in eight games or something like that. But in that run, they've only played a crap United side and Sevilla. Um, as the two tough games that they've had in that run, and when my fat my my Chelsea friend uh, was just gassing about Chelsea, the defense, I was just like, all right, calm down. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you haven't actually played any of the big boys yet. Mendy looks solid for now, but as as we know, uh, goalkeeping is always is all about confidence, right? Um, and it's easy to build up confidence when you face two or three shit shots a game. Yeah. So you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I think I think I agree, and, and we'll see I mean, that, that that game next week. We'll preview it properly in the next pod. But Chelsea Spurs is a very very tasty game. Hopefully, we can get both Arjun and Calvin on um, to uh, discuss that in detail. I, I think will be interesting. Another game we can mention in the Premier League um, is Liverpool's three 0 defeat last night of Leicester, which gave them a new club record for the number of home games uh, without a loss. I think moved to sixty five. Which is or, or 63, which is which is uh, 
beating the legendary Bill Shankly, sorry, a, a, a legendary Bob Paisley teams of the late 70s, early 80s, which won three European Cups in 77, 78 and 81, um, which is obviously very, very high praise for this team. Um, it was a pretty remarkable win from my perspective because Liverpool managed to um, pull off this performance without giving Leicester too much, too many chances at all, um, with the loss of at least four world-class players and, and, and six um, usual starters. You know, people like Thiago, obviously Van Dijk and Gomez, Mo Salah down with coronavirus, Jordan Henderson, and you know, pulling off that, and, and obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold, who I'd say is, is, a, is the best right back in the world. And, and pulling off that performance with all those absentees, I thought, was was extremely remarkable. And I don't know another team in the world that could have done so that has a managerial philosophy so instilled and, and depth and, and, and transfer policy that's been so successful in, in, in choosing player type that could have that could have produced such a performance against Leicester, who are, you know, a top team. People are coming into this game talking about Jamie Vardy's record against big teams. The fact that that record that Liverpool have just beaten in terms of home defeats one from the 70s and 80s, was ended by Leicester in 1981. Um, And, you know, it was all kind of coming together for Liverpool to lose this game, to be honest, especially given the absentees and and Mo Salah's uh, brother's wedding. But they managed to produce, which which was an extremely remarkable performance, with James Milner at right back and Cater and Curtis Jones pulling the strings in midfield. And neither of them have played much at all, really. Um, especially Jones, I think this is, I think he, I don't even think he's had 10 league starts under in his career, to be honest. And he, he produced, a, a, as usual, a display beyond his years. And just from a Liverpool perspective, I'm just really, really proud proud of the display. And, you know, cherry on top was Alison Becker pulling out a clean sheet um, on the day that was a memorial to Ray Clements, a legendary goal, goalkeeper. Um, and that was just a nice cherry on top. Callum, uh, from a Liverpool perspective as well, what did you make of this performance? Yeah, I think you've covered it pretty thoroughly there, basically. It was, considering the absentees, it was, in like last season with a full team, I think we'd have, just as a result that you'd have, we'd have been expecting to win this game. Um, but with the absentees, as you said, I think it's, it's a very good result. It, was, it wasn't it was just a good result, it was a good performance. Um, it'll definitely like instill confidence in the newer players. Um, nice to see James Milner get a game. I'm a big fan of James Milner. Um, dis- display some of his versatility that we've grown so used to with a bit of game at right back and a bit of bit of time in centre midfield as well. Um, Jota looks like an incredible signing still. Um, I think he's the first Liverpool player to score in each of his first four home league matches. Yes. Um, which is pretty incredible considering some of the players that we've had over the years. And you um, know, don't forget his his performances against Atalanta in the Champions League away from home, which was which was remarkable. Satrick. Yeah. So he's been playing very well. That's positive. He looks like a great signing. Um, he's he's covered for all th- all of the front all three of the front three at various points now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's looking good. So that's that's positive. I mean. We're still getting injuries, which isn't great, um, but we're still winning games, so can't really complain. Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, Callum, yeah. You're still getting injuries. Naby Keita went off with a muscle injury, which is which is not good, obviously. Yeah, this, this performance was hugely impressive. I mean, I said before the game, Jamie Vardy was the big threat for Leicester. I actually said... And this is my exact phrase. If I was to put a bet on somebody scoring, it would be Jamie Vardy. I would have lost that bet. I'm glad I didn't put it on. Um, Liverpool played with the confidence of Premier League champions, which is not something you can really say of Liverpool this season, to be honest. I don't think you guys would disagree. Um, And just absolutely fine. Bobby Firmino scored. How unbelievable. He never scores nowadays. 
There were two. Okay, shut up, Lawrence. But anyway, there were there were two incidences before he scored. He definitely deserved a goal. Where it was like two random instances where the ball like pimbled off the woodwork like three times and cleared off the line, and it was just really weird. He was threw in on goal after a beautiful turn, and he just whacked it against the inside of the post. And like nine times out of ten, that would have cleared off the inside of the post in into the goal, but it came directly back out. And then the rebound, you know, flew. I don't know. He was extremely unlucky, and he he almost certainly deserved that goal. And He's underrated in the air, actually. He's he's generally quite good at, at both ends of the pitch and set pieces. He's done a bit of defensive um, header, headers as well, um, as usually some of the best strikers are, actually, in, in the air. And, and yeah, I think he, he definitely deserved that goal from that corner. Yeah, and um, Klopp, after the games, uh, giving a shout-out to James Milner for filling in at right-back. Um, he's literally... He's literally the Swiss Army knife of players. There's not really much else to say. I mean, first time he was in midfield, the first minute, he put a beautiful through ball to Mane, and Mane should have scored, um, but wasn't able to. Um, before I actually bring Lawrence in on this, Callum, what did you make of Klopp's slight rant that echoed Scholzar's rant about TV scheduling in this COVID season and the fact it's killing players? He said he asked the Sky guys to um, have a word with BT, but said, of course you won't. Um, he said that if, if we have to continue um, you know, this frequently, every you know, twice a week, every four days for the rest of the season, we won't be, be able to field 11 players by the end of the season. What do you make of that rant? Um, yeah, so I, I can completely see where he's coming from. It, it is a lot of games. Um, I think generally what I've got the impression of from Klopp is he's OK playing a Champions League game and then a league game. But he doesn't want to play a Champions League game Wednesday evening and then a league game Saturday afternoon, which is completely reasonable. I Well, Saturday like early kickoff, which I think is pretty reasonable. Um, other leagues, I feel like that doesn't really happen. The schedules are much friendlier. Um, I think, I think I can see why this issue arises. Like obviously Sky and BT have their interests, but it does seem a bit nonsensical that there's like no solution to this. Like I don't understand why this is still happening when we've been to- people have been talking about this for a long time. Um, we're still only having three substitutes instead of five. I don't really understand that either. Um, every other league is. Why Why is the Premier League having to be dif- different again? It doesn't really make much sense to me. Lawrence? Actually, the um, three versus five substitute debate is quite interesting because I think it was Ralph Hasenhutl that said that when um, when he was managing with five substitute, he actually found that there were more injuries because the five fresh people would come onto the pitch at the end of the game when everyone was tired and up the intensity by like you know, 20-30%, which kind of exacerbated the risk of injury for the, the tired players that had played the whole 90 minutes. Um, I mean, that was just an interesting point he made. Um, with regards to what Klopp said, it's not anything new from managers this season. I think everybody in the league is, is struggling, especially the teams in European competition. Obviously, the Premier League has something to blame. There is a clear solution, right? If you have a game on Wednesday in the Champions League, just push back the Premier League game to Sunday. I mean, it's not that difficult. The Europa League, boys. I mean, fuck off the Europa League. <laughs> they don't even play their first 11 in, in the Europa League. It doesn't make it... Okay. They squad rotate. But okay, I mean, I, mean, I, I get I, your point. You can, my, you can move it to Monday or something. I had my rant, I think, two pods ago about the fact that we've missed an opportunity here to seize to seize the chance to reform English football long-term. And but we, not- we can't also forget that Liverpool's... It's not a coincidence that Liverpool have more injuries than everybody else in the league, despite their amazing squad depth. It is kind of a product of their style of play. We we always spoke. I think I think 
two years ago he was saying it's remarkable how the front three have not got any injuries um, with the, the death metal football yeah. that, that's been played. And I think that the injuries that are happening to Liverpool now, maybe not to the front three, but it's kind of, you know, there are other variables at play here and, and Klopp's style of play is one of them. I mean, I, I, I just disagree from the perspective that on a case-by-case basis, you know, like Van Dijk was, was kicked, Thiago was kicked, Gomez um, was, I think, yeah, Gomez, you could argue, you know, hurt in training in April England. Um, and and Fabinho was just a routine kind of tear that, any, that anyone can get. Um, and Thiago, I mean, hasn't obviously been at the club very long. But I, I suppose what I suppose I take what you say. I mean, Wijnaldum couldn't play this game because, I mean, he's played like all of uh, the Netherlands' recent games. It's actually on an amazing goal-scoring run, by the way, to go on a bit of a tangent. But anyway, he he, um, he didn't play this game just because of fixture congestion. I don't think he's got an injury. But yeah, Cater's just generally a very injury-prone player. He had injuries at um, Salzburg before he came as well. And it's just it's just one of those things, really. But no, I know, I take your point. Uh, before we move on to the Champions League, let's just uh, give a brief talk about the Brighton game, Lawrence. Yeah, and the Brighton game only notable, or they won two one against Villa, but because Danny Well popped up with the with the first goal, and I was thinking to myself, I don't, I, I don't know any striker as anonymous as Danny Welbeck. I mean, he's obviously been beset by uh, injury problems his entire career. He didn't find a home at United, didn't find a home at Arsenal, didn't really find a home at, at Watford last season, but he seems to be quite happy now. I mean. Uh, just a piece of trivia for you guys. How many uh, England caps do you think Danny Welbeck has got to his entire career? I'm going to go for 45. I guess like 20. Yeah, yeah. So he's got 42 caps for England. Oh! That's unbelievable. Uh, well done, Ash, by the way. Um, I don't Maybe really... Like an obscenely high number. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't understand. Like, I don't... I don't... <laughs> Apparently, he, he appeared often between 2012 and, and, and 2018, but I don't remember him being... He's one of those players that I don't actually know what his qualities are. He's not especially fast. He's not especially, like, strong or good at heading. I, but, you know, he's still in the Premier League and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe he'll do well for Brighton this season. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, let's move on then to the Champions League. Um, Lawrence, your Man United are playing Istanbul, Besiktas um, tomorrow at 8pm. Um, what do you make of this game? It would seem on paper to be quite a routine win. You've had a bit of inconsistent form in Europe. It's, it's been sometimes, you know, a bit of a saviour for you as a recluse from your domestic uh, woes. But what do you make of this game? Yeah, you, you say it should be an easy win. And I said that last last time we previewed the Champions League <laughs> and we lost Istanbul with those shocking uh, two goals conceded. Um, so am I still confident about this game? Yes. W- with a hesitant yes, because United are just so frustratingly inconsistent. But it is Basak here. We should beat them this time at home. Um, we do need to beat them for the sake of qualifying for the Champions League because we were so confident after those first two victories against Leipzig and PSG that United had got this qualification done and dusted. But that loss in Turkey really um, set us back quite a bit because you know, you know the, those two games against the worst team in the group are meant to be a given, right? And that hasn't turned out that way. And now the group is blown wide open. Um, yeah, this is a vital win for Solskjaer. Um, yeah, 
that's pretty much it, really. Mm. Um, Lauren, um, Callum, let's move on then to the next game. Dinamo Kiev against Barca. I think this on paper actually looks like quite an interesting game. Barca have a pretty shocking league form. I think they're somewhere in 12th in the league. We'll try and get Boti on in the near future to talk about what's happening there. But Messi seems to be a bit of a woeful spell as well by his standards. What do you make of this game? Um, yeah, so I must say I don't know much about Dynamo Kiev. Um, it's not a team I follow or a league I really follow. But um, I think Barcelona have been kind of underwhelming of late. Um, obviously had a big high profile um, issues at the start of the season with like behind the scenes and now Piquet's injured as well. That That's probably not a good sign for them. Um, I don't think Piquet's really replaceable. I think he's kind of a Van Dijk figure for Barcelona. I mean, obviously, maybe you're better off saying Van Dijk's a Piquet figure for Liverpool, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think Piquet has been so associated with Barcelona since he started playing for them. But I, I, I'm not sure. I think it could go either way. It's a difficult place. It's a long journey mm. for Barcelona as well. Um, busy schedule. Not been playing great recently. Could go either way. All the, I think. all the signs, all the signs aren't great. I mean, Lawrence, what do you make of, of what Clem's saying there? I, I, I don't disagree with any of it really. I mean, um, Barca pretty uninspiring, and given their defensive woes, the last thing they needed was, was PK to go down like this. Yeah, I think I think maybe two years ago I would have agreed with that statement about PK. I don't think it applies so much anymore, <laughs> given how shocking he's been this season. Um, I think the the issue is not not really that PK is injured, but mostly. They have no other centre-backs um, uh, to really replace it. I mean, they have Ronald Araujo or something. Uh, I don't know much about him, except from he's rated like 75 on FIFA or something shit. So, yeah. I don't know. I didn't see that. doesn't seem that good. Um, I think that this should be an easy win for Barca. I'm not, as as Callum is not, I am I'm not an expert on the Ukrainian league, but Dinamo Kiev were average to shocking again in their... In their um, matches so far, so uh, I don't expect too much trouble for Barca. Um, yeah. I was just going to say then, Callum, uh, what do you make of the next game? So PSG Leipzig. Now this is quite an exciting game. Um, both of these teams have good attacking potential. A lot of uh, quite a few big names on on display. You have Nagelsmann against you know Tuchel. It's you know quite an exciting managerial um, managerial conflict as well. What do you make of this? I think this is one of those games that could turn out to be a bit of a cracker. Yeah, so I think it's one of those games that will either have a lot of goals or have like not many goals at all. I don't think it's going to be like a, a two-one. Yeah. I I think either there's probably going to be like an early goal one way or the other, and it will turn into absolute havoc, um, or it will be like a bit of a snooze fest. Neither team can get the ball in the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting group. I think both teams kind of need to win the game. Um, where are they? Yeah. So. If PSG don't win the game and United win as well, I think PSG are in a lot of trouble to get out of the group. Mm. Um, but if PSG do win it, like the group is completely open. Um, so I think we'll see that it should be a good game. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it, would be, it would be amusing, Lawrence, if PSG can't get out of the group after all of this. Yeah, it would be amusing. I mean, Callum says it won't be a 2-1. The reverse fixture was actually 2-1 to Leipzig, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, this this should be as as Callum said a, a, a crazy game. Uh, both teams, yes, do need to win, especially PSG, who are just absolutely baffling. I mean, um, they don't come off the best of league forms. Uh, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, Cesc Fabregas came off the bench in mm. Monaco's three-two comeback victory against PSG in a mm. performance that defied his age. 
Um, I think the phrase used by the commentator was rolling back the years, and he said it about 50 times during Fabregas's wow. like. I wish so we start, you know, 40, just 40 um so if a if a like a 35 year old Fabregas can unlock your defense um PSG I think you 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 need to you know step it up despite his his clear class I remember Seth Seth Fabregas being amazing when I was in like year three of prep school that's how long ago he's that's how long he's been playing for because he he played for Arsenal he's been around yeah he got in in the Arsenal team and he was ridiculously young didn't he so he's just been in my mind for many 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 years um I think he's been playing football. His professional career has got to be close to 50% of his life at this point. I don't know. But it's and his, his list of honours is unbelievable. I yeah. mean, like, uh, you know, he had that stint at, at Barca, obviously. Are we interesting, actually? Callum, if you can look this up briefly. Um, what, it, it does does Cesc Fabregas' professional playing career come to 50% of his age? Um, I would guess yes. That would be um, remarkable if so, because I know he started playing when he was like 16, 17. Yeah, no, he's 33 at the moment. Yeah. And how old um, was he when he made his Arsenal date? signed him when he was 16. Okay, right. So, yeah. so I mean, it's he's close. Just about. It's close. It's close. Yeah. So, uh, there he goes. So it's just a remarkable bit of longevity about Cesc Fabregas. Another piece of trivia, though. Has yeah. Fabregas won the Champions League? Has he? Has he? Uh, he's played for... Arsenal, Barcelona, yeah. Chelsea. Did he win it with Barca when they won with Eric Abidal lifting the trophy? Well, I, mean, I can't tell you, can I? So, Alan, what do you reckon? Um, I'd say yes. I'd say no. I feel like the fact you're asking the question means it must be a no. Mm, well, well, you'd be correct in, in thinking that. Yeah, he never won it. He he uh, he was runner-up in 2005-2006 yeah. in that Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is and at Barca he joined the season after he won oh, their oh, second uh, Champions League under Guardiola. Yeah, because yeah, I know that that was the Abidal season where Abidal lifted it because of his cancer, and um, I thought that Fabregas was already there, but he joined the he joined the summer yeah. after. There you go then. Um, moving on, um, Matiti are going away to Olympiacos, Callum. I, I think this is quite routine. Yeah, I think quite routine. Um, yeah. City have been looking not incredible, but I think. Olympiacos are, are not a formidable opponent and you would expect City to beat them. Lawrence, anything to add there? I mean, the thing is, is that uh, this confuses me because if you look at the quality of the players, you'd say low block, they should be able to out-defend City and they'll be, they should be like pretty competitive, like teams in the Premier League have done. For some reason in Europe, City just find it really easy to steamroll all the teams in, in their group. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like if a manager with a better plan than Andre Villas-Boas, who, who simply <laughs> said we're shit, um, can can do something against City, then you know I mean, they have he, a chance. They should he, be encouraged at least. In terms of Villas-Boas, I mean, we can go on to Lazio Zenit. Um, I think that's a pretty exciting game on, on paper. Anyway, both of these teams have reasonable attacking potential. Um, I don't know really much about Zenit's recent form at all. Lawrence? Mate, VS Boas left Zenit like a year ago. Yeah, like I know, but it's a ago. segue. <laughs> nice, nice segue well, uh, into a game that nobody cares about. <laughs> 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 um, okay, well, I'll just say that I won't be watching the game and then you can move okay. on. Um, let's go to um, Liverpool are playing Atlanta at Anfield. Uh, Callum, how do you see us doing in this game? We obviously battered them away from home. More of the same. Uh, injury issues, obviously, as we said, are mounting up, though. What do you reckon? 
Um, I'd, I'd hope it was more of the same. I think last time in Atlanta, we were very good. Um, I think it's at Anfield as well, which will obviously be even more an advantage in the playing away. Atlanta are, are a scary side, though. Um, they have the capability to pull out a very weird result that like, it, they could score a lot of goals and beat us 3-0. Or yeah. we could beat them 6-0. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit worrying. Like We're in a pretty good position in the group, though, so even if we do do lose I'm, I'm not it's not the end of the world for us Lawrence I, I mean Atlanta are the ultimate kind of dynamic team they can concede three and score six and concede five and score three and I think their average goals per game this year is mental something like five so what do you make of this game it's quite hard to predict but I'm hopeful that Liverpool can, can continue the tactical dominance they showed last time especially um, if we have Diogo Jota starting again mm. Mm, exactly. Everything you said is, is pretty much spot on. I was just looking at, well, Atalanta drew nil nil with Spezia last time wow. out. So, yeah, um, so but that was their first nil nil in about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, Make up the averages. Yeah, they need to score eight or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think this should be fine for Liverpool. Um, you know, as a neutral fan, I, I, despite hating Liverpool, I do find it kind of pain, not painful, but. Um, I do find it a shame that Liverpool and Anfield don't get to celebrate, you know, European nights, um, you yeah. know, in Liverpool. Um, this game would have been a cracker with the crowds. I think it yeah. will be will be enjoyable to watch without. Um, yeah. I'm yeah, I remember the this. crowds, the intensity of the crowds, the attacking ability of both teams. This would have been a, a classic, but unfortunately, as with a lot of things that these days due to COVID have been deprived of that. Um, a couple more games to talk about before we go on to Inter Real, which might be the biggest big name game of the week. Bayern Salzburg is quite an interesting one. I can see Bayern just due to their superior quality coming away with it, but Salzburg too can produce some quite attractive play. Callum? Yeah, I mean, Salzburg haven't been having the greatest time in the Champions League. They've got one draw, which was against um, Lokomotiv Moscow, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I would definitely fancy Bayern here. Bayern, since their new manager, whose name I've forgotten, came in, um, have been very, very good in the Champions League. Uh, I'm not sh- yeah, I'm not sure he's lost a game yet. Um, um, no, I don't think he has in the Champions League. I mean, um, yeah, he, he's been excellent. We've sung his praises yeah. before on the pod, obviously, with their Champions League win last year. Uh, Lawrence, routine for Bayern? Yeah, exactly. And Salzburg are like the new bitches of Europe. Like, basically... They, they, they sign. They, I think they have a good scouting department because they keep finding these gems of players like Minamino, Keita, Haaland, obviously. But then, like, instantly, the season after they impress, their squad gets absolutely nutted. So expect, like, Dominic Sabotzelai and um, Berisha to just leave the club within yeah. the next year. Yeah. And then they have to just sign again. Okay, then let's just go straight for it, Lawrence. Inter Real. Obviously, I'm hoping Internazionale can pull through here. Real having quite a bizarre time of recently similar they're not playing as badly as Barca but certainly they're not playing as well as Atletico or other couple of other teams in La Liga Sergio Ramos had a mare in international break I think he missed two penalties in the game for Spain um what do you make of this game going into it Inter had a bit of a mental game against Torino yesterday they fell behind 1-0 and ended up winning the game I think 4-2 by the end um it's a bit of a big name big game yeah this is an absolutely big game, and and there have been some crackers so far in the Champions League. The reverse fixture was an example of that. Um, 3-2 to, to Real Madrid in the end. Vital win for them. I expect this game to follow a similar pattern. Um, 
in terms of just being completely crazy. Uh, yeah, the fact that all defences in Europe are really shit right now is giving way to to just just free-flowing football, which I guess we can't, like, complain about. But I do miss the days where this game is, like, it's gonna, this game I would be billing is really tense and maybe one goal, one side sneaks a win, maybe Sergio Ramos sneaks at the end to score a winner. But nowadays it's yeah. just sort of who can score the most goals. So, I mean, Lukaku is going to have a fucking field day. You can you can bet that he's just going to bully Varane. It's not even going to be fair. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope that Lukaku can can produce some some performance. He, he he played well against Torino yesterday, as I say, after into into far behind. And I hope that you know he can get a run against against Ramos and Varane. I think he's a kind of flat track bully type of player that might do well against Madrid. I don't know. Um, I'm just a bit biased, obviously, from the Inter perspective because they're a team that I follow quite closely and I don't know if I'm getting blinkered here, but I do I honestly think Inter can get a good result here. And I'm, just, I'm not just saying that, I think. Uh, Callum, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's. I think both teams kind of need a result here. I think if Inter don't don't win this match, they're, they're not getting out of the group. Um, they'll probably finish bottom of the group, to be honest, um, which obviously would be a shame. Um, I think... Real Madrid have been very questionable in Europe this season. They've been pretty questionable all round. Um, the performance against Shakhtar at the start of the in the first round of fixtures in the Champions League was very very poor um, at the end, particularly. So I don't know. I would expect Real to, to win, but I'm not really sure why. I just feel like that's been conditioned into me from the last like five six seasons. Yeah. Um, when really the the like football they play has changed so much that. I'm not really sure. I mean, Lawrence, what do you make of Zidane this season? Seems a bit of a lonely figure. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, f- I found the decision to come back as um, to, to Real Madrid, having been so, so successful the first time, it's almost asking for him to be the messiah for the second time, which is uh, is always difficult, you know. Um, and Real Madrid have obviously haven't had it their whole way. Um, and and the thing about this Real Madrid side is, like the Barca side, it is kind of in need of a rebuild because, uh, um, obviously Rodrigo and Vinicius have been big players for Real this season. They aren't the players that you can necessarily rely on. Like Zidane had the ability to rely on Ronaldo and Bale and Benzema in his first stint as Real Madrid manager. Um, yeah, uh, I think. And, and because of the level of expectation at Real Madrid, Zidane needs to get a trophy this season. Um, probably the Premier League, sorry, not the, the La Liga, but, you know, he has to do well in the Champions League to sort of keep his job secure. Uh, and, yeah, he do does need to win this game, like Inter also needs to win the game. Yeah, um, I think... No, I just hope that Inter can pull this one out. But no, thank you to both of you. That's a very thorough preview of the Champions League and a very thorough review of the Premier League. Discussed a lot of big talking points there, some of the biggest stories as well. Grateful to both of you for the time and grateful to all of you guys for listening as well. Thank you so much. See you on uh, next time when you come podcast with your kids. Lawrence? Yep, thanks for having me on again. Uh, no see worries. you next time. Thank you very much. See you soon. See you, boys. Uh, see you next time, boys. Cheers.